Hey everybody, this is Brad Williams and I am the pastor of B4 Church. Welcome to our podcast. My prayer is that this would help you behold God, that you would see him for who he is, that you would belong to community, that you would be everything that you were created to be, and that you would be able to dream beyond the limitations in your life. So I hope you enjoy this teaching and we look forward to seeing you in person soon. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the B4 Church podcast. My name is Brad Williams, and I'm the lead pastor here at B4 Church. And hey, everybody, my name is Alex Lessler. I'm also one of the pastors at B4 Church, and I direct the adult ministry team. Now, last week, if you're just tuning in, we started a series of conversations about what we're calling Minding the Gap. It's what happens when there is a breakdown between our experience and our expectation. There's a gap, and it's in that space that we often either fill it with trust or with suspicion. Yeah, so basically what we discussed last week is this this reality that in almost every relationship, whether it's a working relationship, a marital relationship, a friendship relationship, parent to child, there are times when expectations that we have don't get met. Now, sometimes we don't verbalize all those, right. but, but sometimes we just hold them. But in some way or another, the expectation doesn't get met. When an expectation doesn't get met, and this is what we talked about, we have an opportunity to fill that gap with something. And more often than not, we as human beings tend to be suspicious. We tend to be critical. We tend to write a narrative about somebody. And ultimately what happens in that is the relationship begins to disintegrate because we've chosen really to think the worst of somebody than the best. Yeah. One of my favorite things that we talked about last week, and if you didn't get a chance to listen to it, like go back, tune in, and listen to the message. But one of the things that was super interesting to me, you talked about this concept, and I forget what the actual term is. Yeah, it's but a it, fundamental attribution error. Yeah, that called. one, that yeah. one. And I loved that idea. Um, and can you like tell us about that a little bit more? Just remind us about that topic, because I think it has a lot to say or to speak into what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, it's, it's basically, it's a psychological term that says we have a tendency, I mean, when, when we flesh this out, it means we have a tendency to give ourselves the benefit of the doubt when we don't actually extend that to others. So if I'm late to a meeting, I usually have a really good reason for being late to a right. meeting. There was something I was doing and it was important and you'll understand. But if you're late to the meeting, then I'm going to actually fill that gap with, uh, with things like, well, you're irresponsible, you don't know how to use an alarm clock, Uh, You don't manage your schedule well. And so there's this automatic response that we have where I attribute a certain amount of credit to myself that I don't attribute to other people. Yeah, and this is standard. Like, most people do this. Yeah. It's not something that just happens to people who are like you know, off the rocker and acting crazy. Like, this is the common experience for most of us. If I'm driving down the road and I swerve out of my lane... It's because something crazy happened in the back seat, or you know, whatever it would be yep. with my kids. Yep. Exactly. But if somebody else does it, they're a terrible driver, and they should have their license revoked. Yes, right? Absolutely. This is what we do on a normal day-to-day basis. Yeah, we really do. We do it in a lot of micro ways too. You know, there's there's all these little circumstances where we don't really state the expectations, but they're still there. Mm. And when somebody over time doesn't meet our expectations then we start to think poorly of them. So you can think about how in a certain conversation you might say or verbalize to somebody about your boss, he always does that. Mm-hmm. Well, what that's an expression of is you've seen this pattern of behavior and now there's this character opinion that you have of them or in a spouse, a spousal sure. relationship, same thing happens there where you suddenly find yourself saying, well, you always do this or she always does that. You have these ki- kinds of conversations because there have been expectations that didn't get met and you most likely filled those gaps with suspicion. You doubted, you questioned character, those kinds of things. Right, so we can be come self-aware that we do this ourselves to other people, 
But a question that I have for you today as I've been thinking about this is what happens when we encounter other people that treat us this way? Yeah. Yeah. That's actually probably the most important thing in this conversation because ultimately we have to start changing the way other people are, are moving around us and thinking sure. about this. And let me just say the best way to do this is to not um, sit down with them and say, hey, can I just tell you, you always do this. There's this podcast you need to listen to. That's probably not it. In fact, if you have someone in your life right now and you're listening to this and you're like, they got to hear this, you probably should wait a few weeks and try what I'm going to say next before you yeah. send them the podcast. I think because, that's a general principle in life, period. We yeah. should all listen to. Yeah. Never nudge somebody in church when you know they should be listening all to right. the message and never send them a podcast when you know that they want you want them to listen to it. So yeah. so a couple of different things, you know, for, for me in particular, when I'm in, in a situation with somebody where... Uh, I just tend to pick up on. And this is hard, but you start to pick up on it. You start to hear certain vocabulary words. There's cues that you're probably continuing to let this person down or or that this person holds this attitude. And by the way, it's not always with you. It may be that everybody in their life, this is how they feel towards them. Right. Uh, but, but you start picking up on that. And so for me, that's where you start thinking about how do I build trust with somebody? Because ultimately, mm. this is about building trust. Yes, there are moments when we address this, but in the, the long game, this is about trust building with people. So, you know, for me, I always start with vulnerability, that the more vulnerable I am with a person, the more they get to know me, uh, the more trust they're going to naturally have of me. So, I mean, great example is, is with you uh, in particular, you, um, I I know your life, right? I know, I know, you know, your wife, I know your kids. Um, There are times for me when I can literally just visualize you in your life. And as a result of that, your vulnerability, you sharing things with me, I'm able to then go man, I just trust Alex because there's parts of him that I know. There's a weird phenomenon. The more we know each other, the more we understand about each other, usually the more grace we're going to extend to each other. So it's being vulnerable with that person. It's it's opening up and saying, uh, you know, admitting when sure. we know that we have dropped the ball on something. It's it, th- Those are very important things to do. Um, and that really leads to the second thing for me, and that's just developing relationships. Sometimes right. the best way to have trust over the long haul is, is just relationship. Right, yeah, and... I mean, particularly it's it's doing the kind of things that cause there to be not j- like a healthy relationship. Like it's reciprocal in that regard. So uh, let's look at our relationship, for example, again. Like in order for us to have a level of vulnerability, we have to have a level of relationship, yep. which means we have to have a, a, like regular communication. We have to have like proximity to one another. Those are things that have to happen um, in order for us to build trust. So like an example, if I send you a text at 7.30 at night and I am just asking you a question, random question, whatever, and you don't respond, right? I could think in my head like, oh my gosh, he hates me, right? right? He doesn't like working with me anymore. I should go look for another job. Right. You know, like our friendship is on the rocks, whatever it could be. But the truth of the matter is you're probably just with your family yourself, right? right? And, and the more you know me, the more you're like, oh man, I sent that text. I have zero expectation that he get. I mean, just That's right. I'm dropping it out there knowing uh, when you don't know somebody, you have no idea what they're doing out there in that space, wherever you sent that text to. Totally. You have no idea. But the more you know somebody, the more like, hey, I'm just going to drop this to him because it's that relational piece of this. And right. I think it's important that you touch on that. It just takes that time of building that relationship, which really goes to kind of a third piece of building trust for me. And that's developing a history. Sure. We naturally write narratives uh, in our minds. We write a storyline. This is how this is going. Uh, if you've ever had an argument with somebody imaginary in a shower when you're getting ready for work in the morning, you know what I'm talking about, where you yeah. create this false narrative. 
the more you can develop a real narrative, a real history with somebody, the more you begin to erode this idea of suspicion. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing about that is it still requires that relationship, that ongoing stuff. Um, one of the things I've noticed over the years is that families, uh, in particular, the older that families get, so you know, kids grow up, they move out of the house, and they actually aren't in close proximity. They have history, but history's from four or five years ago, and now we see each other once or twice a year. Sure. Then you have these conflicts, and it's like, well, you never trust me, or you ne- and and you watch yeah. older families. You watch siblings sort of debate again. It's oftentimes because they don't live in the close proximity they once did. Mom and dad aren't there every day. And so now you're skeptical of mom and dad. And mom and dad's skeptical of the kids. Those sorts of things happen, which require us to continue to be in close proximity, in relationship, making Mm -hmm. those contacts, and then also just developing that history, making sure that we're writing that new narrative. So it's interesting. I'm a sports guy, and I know you're a sports guy Mm -hmm. too. We live in the backdrop of the Pacific Northwest and one of the greatest sports teams in the world. No bias here. The Portland. And trailblazers. Okay. So here's where I see all of these three things applying to um, this combination of an organization, a team, and friendships, relationships yeah. is in this illustration. So last year, no secret, Blazers make it to the Western Conference Finals. Incredibly successful team, but the narrative out there was that they overachieved, mm, right? Their, yeah. their overall level of talent and skill, um, it, it wasn't what everybody expected, right? They, right. they, were, they were thought to be taken out in the first round or maybe the second round, but they make it to the Western Conference Finals. But then this next season, they trade away most of their team, and then they're hampered by a lot of injuries. And everybody's asking the question, what is it or why are they not as successful when really the talent on paper is greater than it was the season before, but their success is worse. And as you dig deeper into it, there's this reality that that team had stayed together for four or five seasons. Mm-hmm. They developed a history, yep. right? So they learned how to interact with each other through good days and bad days, which built relationship. And then ultimately, when there were hard things to discuss, i.e. vulnerability, yep. they found their way forward and they became successful on the other end. And so it's interesting to see that play out in that kind of organization where their overall success went downhill because of the lack of those three things. And it just speaks to the value of trust in any relationship and organization. Well, yeah, you know, so th- so these three things are so critical. And, and if you're taking notes, just to make sure you hit these, it's vulnerability, that's number one. Number two, building that continual relationship, actually having a relationship with someone. And then three, developing a new history or writing a new narrative. Those three things are so critical. But, you know, here's another great example. We're recording this during, you know, this COVID shutdown, mm-hmm. you know, pandemic season. And... Uh, I have heard about so many people who have had conflict during this, and part of it is we are removed. We It's hard to be vulnerable through yeah. Zoom. Uh, the relational connections have gone down, so people are a little bit more toxic with each other, and we're starting to forget because we don't have new history. We're starting to forget our old history. And so that's why right now I think a lot of things in our culture are sort of a, a, a boiling pot of water because right. we're lacking so much of this in our lives right now. Yeah, that's such a good point. And I mean, I know you have experienced this as well, but when I talk to couples and families that went from sort of doing their lives a certain way, but in a lot of regards distant, to then like sheltering in place, every Everybody's together, working, schooling, and living in that small proximity of space. Um, the lack of doing these three things to build trust actually starts to boil up, yep, and yep. tension arises. And all of a sudden, you know, there's all sorts of things that they have had to journey through. Um, of course, not you and me, because we are immune to this. 
I'm obviously joking because right. this has hit my home and it's hit your home. I know that. I don't know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, right. <laughs> but it, the requirement of that closer proximity to develop a new history, to build even deeper relationships, and to go and have even more vulnerable and difficult conversations because of the proximity that COVID has forced us into. Yeah, I agree. 100%. So as you were talking, um, there's something that came to mind and I wanted to hear more of your thoughts on this. And that is that obviously there are certain relationships in our life where trust has been abused. We have been continually hurt by someone. And so this is where I think that there's a tension in this conversation. And I would love for you to speak on this. Like, how can you begin trusting someone who has continually hurt you? And the question is, or even should I, should I continue to express trust to somebody who continually hurts me? Right, right. Well, and you know, I think it's important. I want to make a a draw line here, just a delineation. Um, When we talk about hurting in this context, um, we're talking about disappointing, letting people down. We're talking about really hurting you. Um, that's probably a whole other conversation. So sure. I probably would lean more towards the conversation around people who have who have continually let you down sure. or disappointed you. Um, because right. obviously, if there's someone in your life out there that uh, is continually truly wounding you, that's a whole other dialogue around this. But sure. but if there is somebody that you say, you know what, uh, no matter what I do, no matter what seems to happen year after year, day after day, this person uh, lets me down. Um, that that person at some point we have to start reframing our expectations and part of that might be boundaries and sometimes you do that but it's really important that we think about the expectations we're holding on other people in fact um this is just sort of a general rule for me and why how i navigate this i'm trying to always lower my expectations of others not because I'm trying to just lower the bar for them, but part of that is it makes me a lot happier person moving through my life <laughs> if I expect a little less out of people. Sure, you know what I'm saying? Because sure. we're people, we're going to make mistakes. Well, and I think the challenge is that we generally expect more out of other people than sometimes we even do of ourselves. Yeah. And I know that's personality driven, but it because some people, like a one on the Enneagram, for example, I, if you had know nothing about the Enneagram go do some research on it, but they would typically put higher expectations on themselves than they would other people. Yep. So I know that personality um, kind of drives this, but I also think the reality is, is that we can put unrealistic expectations on other people. And I think that's what you're speaking to. Right. We have unrealistic ex- expectations, or sometimes we just have expectations. And I think when it comes to dealing with somebody who's toxically uh, repeating their crime against you, at some point you have to just stop and say, okay, I'm going to lower my expectation. And this time right. uh, I'm going to think if they do this, this is actually really, you know, kind of the, kind of the minimum. Um, so you just have to change your expectations to protect yourself. I think it's a really good habit for human beings to stop every now and then and think, what do I expect of other people in the world, in my life, in the organization I'm working in, in my church, in my family? What expectations do I have of them? And to really ask the question, are those realistic, first of all? Um, And then secondly, have I stated those expectations? And I'm not talking about stating your expectations to the world on Facebook or Instagram. I'm talking about, you know, have you stated those to your family members and said, hey, you know what, I I guess this is something I felt some tension and this is something I want to talk about with you, which we're going to get to that. We're going to sure. We're going to get yeah. to that more, more in a little bit. No, it's so good. I mean, there's parts of me that are like, can we get to it now? But I also recognize like we have a sort of flow, a sort right. of flow that we're trying to follow here. But as you were talking, there's a couple other things that came to my mind and I wanted to like draw, draw it out of you a little bit more here. So, um, I want to say this in a way that it doesn't totally expose like myself and you, but we'll just go there. There have been patterns in my life, things that I want to overcome 
mm-hmm. right? Th- and not like crazy sinful things, but like, hey, Alex, will you do this? Oh, yeah, I'll totally do that. And then I forget. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Those are patterns that I've been working hard and trying to break for 12 years. Yeah. Right? But I find myself sometimes taking a step forward and two steps back. Mm-hmm. Now, these are certain things. They're not abusive. They're not like... Um, like dangerous to anyone else, but they're annoying. They're annoying in relationship. And over time, these patterns can break trust. But I was thinking about the passage of scripture, Paul in first Corinthians, and where he says, love always trusts Mm -hmm. and that long suffering is a Christian virtue. Mm -hmm. And so in certain relationships, um, like, you know, in, in this example between my wife and I, when she asked me to do something and enthusiastically, I say yes. And then like 10 minutes later, I've completely forgotten what it is. Right this repeated pattern over our life, she recognizes that I have a genuine pursuit to want to improve, but I also continue to make that mistake. So she takes the posture of recognizing love always trusts, Mm -hmm. right? And that it is part of her journey in life. But my question is like, that's a different thing than just allowing somebody to continually hurt you. Yes. So there is a level of accountability that her proximity in my life allows. And I would love for you to speak to that because that's almost like a third category, not somebody who's abusive, not somebody who's just continually hurting yourself that you have to sort of protect yourself in, but somebody you're in close proximity with that continues to make mistakes over and over again. Well, yeah. Well, you know, one of the reasons why I always like to talk about this and why it's one of my favorite subject is because the more people around you that know this, that dialogue about this, the more you can actually move into a place where you can talk about this sure. in a healthy way. So there are three commitments um, for trust. And, and this is uh, Andy Stanley, again, has talked about this subject and he's done an amazing job. He talks about these three commitments. And years ago when I first heard this, they became really important to me that uh, here's the first one, that when there's a gap between what I expect and experience, I will fill it with trust. Hmm. So there's this decision that I'm going to make um, that when this happens, I'm going to do my best to be, as you just stated, long suffering. I'm hmm. not going to attach motive to whatever's taken place. So you forgetting to do something is so different than you willfully saying, you know what, I'm going to agree to do this and then I'm going to willfully choose not to. Right. When something happens like that, I'm going to say, no, that wasn't his motive. His motive, he had good intentions, right? right. So I'm going to fill the gap with trust and instead of expansion. And the second thing is this, and this is where it starts to, the rubber starts to meet the road. When I observe others filling a gap with suspicion, I'm going to come to your defense. That's so good, man. So this is big. So I, I find myself doing this a lot in life that when I hear something somebody else begin to throw another person under the bus and say, I can't believe whatever, I immediately will go to, can we talk about what's happening in that person's life that might explain what's going on right now? And part of what I'm trying to do is just get people to see the the humanity in that other person. So I'm going to come to their defense and say, hey, let's talk about this. There's probably a very good reason. In fact, I've said this so many times over the years. There's probably a really good reason Mm. that Alex isn't getting this done right now. Sure. And it's reminding people, yeah, you're right. If Alex isn't getting it done, it's probably a really good reason. So I, mm-hmm. I hate to keep using you as an example, no, it's but okay. you're sitting across I'm the table s- from I'm right me. here. Yeah. And then the third thing, the third commitment is this. If what I experience or see begins to erode my trust, I'll come directly to you mm. about it. And that's, I think, what we're really digging into. And I know I just roundabout covered those three things. Yeah. But that's what we're getting to is if this happens over and over again and we're getting to this spot, eventually I need to come to you and say, hey, I, I've had this expectation. Maybe I didn't state it to you. Um, maybe I did state it to you, but I've had this expectation that things be this way. And I need to let you know that 
over the last couple of months or the last couple of weeks, enough has been happening that I'm starting to lose trust in mm. you because of this. What I love about that is these three commitments, which I think like if you didn't write them down, let me just rephrase them so that you can write them down. When there's a gap between what I expect and experience, I'll fill it with trust. When I observe others filling a gap with suspicion, I'm going to come to your defense. If what I experience or see begins to erode my trust, I will come directly to you. Now, what I love about these three is that they do the opposite of what I feel naturally inclined to do. Oh, man. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you think about this. The, um, usually, if you if you do this, it's like, okay, so I'm going to fill it with suspicion. We've mm-hmm. already talked about that. Secondly, yep. uh, somebody else yeah. says... We're going to have a whole conversation right, about this behind your back. Somebody else comes and right. says, you're never going to leave it, Alex. Did. Oh, man, you know what? He did the exact mm-hmm. same thing to me last week. We jump in there. And then the third one, oh, something happens, and now I'm the person initiating, and you guys wouldn't believe what Alex did. Sure, you know, yeah. And oftentimes, it, no one ever comes directly to you. Right. It becomes the overarching narrative about that individual. It may not even be the true story, but it's a story that we wrote. And then that person has to live with that, not even knowing that that's what everyone around them thinks. Well, especially among Christians. And I just, for a second, I have to say this. I've got a saying that I've been saying for quite a few years now, and that's that for Christians in the Christian community, we tend to lie in love and we speak the truth Uh. in anger. And uh, Jesus said to speak the truth in love, but what we do is we think that love is never talking about anything difficult. Or and hard, so, yeah. Right, so we lie in love, and then we speak the truth in anger, which basically means we wait until we finally have had it, and now I blow up, and there's sure. this anger moment. Sure. And we think we're justified because we have all these right. reasons for it, but the reality is we're unjustified because early on, we didn't just speak the truth in love. Right. It, this could have prevented an unraveling of a relationship or even a giant mistake if we had just followed these commitments from the very beginning. Yeah. But unfortunately, like you said, and especially within our own Christian communities, we do the exact opposite of these things. Yeah. So, okay. So in our relationships to one another, obviously this is really important, but I want to talk to you about what happens when God doesn't meet your expectations. Oh, man. You know what? I actually think these three things apply. So that's a Tell really me how. interesting thing to say. But, you know, obviously I'm going to have gaps. And in, in fact, I'll be really vulnerable right now with you. And that's right. that this morning I was journaling some things. And I happened to be reading, you know, the beginning parts of Joseph's story mm-hmm. when he's, you know, thrown in a well by his brothers, and he's sold three times, three independent times, sold into slavery, ends up in Potiphar's house, and yet that story is a story towards redemption. And I was just thinking about this transition that I'm in in the last several months, and you know, in, in my journal, just taking a moment to acknowledge and say, you know, like right now, I wouldn't have scripted sure. these circumstances. <laughs> like, hey, let's picture the ideal transition into a, a new, a new, new city, city new, new yeah, church, right, all these things. Yeah. And, and so my expectations obviously have been rattled a little bit. This isn't what I thought. And so to be able to stop and say, you know what, Lord, I'm going to trust you, even though my circumstances are screaming the opposite of what I expected. Sure. And then also, I mean, again, when I hear others complaining, like, does God, you know, what... I don't right. jump on that bandwagon. Sure. I try to get people to trust. That second one's easy for me. But then the third one, uh, if I experience or or begin to see things that erode my trust, I'll come directly to you about it. Man, you read the Psalms yeah. over and over again. The psalmists are coming and saying, Lord, like, how did you do this? How did you let this happen? What are you doing? In fact, I, we tend to think in our culture today, like we need to protect God's reputation, so don't ever say anything like that. Right. But the in the Hebrew uh, culture, in the Hebrew mindset, there was no problem dialoguing with God about these difficult things sure. and saying, man, I'm just struggling. And they were okay airing those things and knowing God was big enough to handle this himself. And so right. I think it's important that when we have those moments, we actually verbalize and say, God, I'm yeah. really disappointed right now. Like I, 
I don't know. Yeah, that's so doing. good, particularly in the moments that are hard. I mean, there's a whole book in the Bible called Lamentations, right? Right, and this idea that even the vast majority of the Psalms could be categorized as laments. Yeah, and I think one of the things that God always does when we come to Him in our honesty, our frustration, even our brokenness, is he draws near. Yeah. Now, with Joseph's story, what's super interesting, and I'm glad you pointed that out, because such a great example, God speaks to Joseph, like gives him a vision of his future, mm-hmm. right? And it's really cool, Yeah. right? Like, And he's at 17, um, his vision uh, is of greatness, right. really. Right. And what's crazy is that when his dream is finally fulfilled, like 17-ish years later, which is a long time, by the way, and that's typically where our expectations of God and our experience fall apart, is that it often takes a lot longer for God to do the thing that he says he's going to do in our life than we want it to. Right. Well, there's a song we're singing around churches right now that uh, one of the lines <laughs> is, you're never going to let me down, you know, and we say this over and over again. Yeah. And uh, just about every single time we sing that, I think, at least not for the long haul, but in the <laughs> short term, it's going to feel like you let me down, God. You know I mean? that's right. There's a lot of people that sing that song and it kind of feels disingenuous. Like, wait a second, I've been let down. And I think it's important for us to know that it's actually okay to say... I feel let down by you, God. Yeah, I'd like the lyrics of that song if it said, I know someday I'll know that you never let me down. Because that's probably realistic, and that expresses the kind of trust I think we have. It's like, hey, right now I'm coming to you because I'm frustrated. But I, I, I know that out there someplace, and you know, there's another side of that too. And that's, we also have to make sure we have real realistic expectations of God, you know, like same thing we do with our friends and our, our, you know, our spouse or our coworkers. You know, have we placed expectations on God that he do something that is completely outside of what he's even planning on doing for our lives? Sure. I think there's that part of it of, am I evaluating my own expectations of God? Yeah. That's yeah. a really important thing. It's so good. And man, we could go on and on about this one for a while, but I think particularly in the season that we're in right now where there's, I had a conversation with someone recently from our church and they said, I have, you know, two questions for God right now, but one of them is why did you allow COVID-19 to happen? And that's a huge question, and maybe we'll get there in one of the podcasts. Um, not that we have an answer for it, but we can kind of walk oh, maybe around I do. the topic. Maybe I do. <laughs> Don't create false expectations, Brad. Oh, that's right. Um, but in it, there's this sort of said expectation that God should behave the certain way that I think he should behave, right. and he didn't, and now I have questions which I actually am like not saying that my friend is doing anything wrong. I actually think that that's the normal human experience. It's when that stays inside of us and is never processed between God and other people that it begins to sort of sow seeds of bitterness and doubt and anger that never get processed in an unhealthy way. Yeah. Well, you know, there's a saying that we use all the time in our culture today. It's like first world problems. I know, I know. First world problems. When we say that, what we're acknowledging is I have expectations that are Mm. completely unique to my context. I probably wouldn't be complaining about this if I lived in, and then we can fill in the blank. Um, I think that's that's an important thing to acknowledge that even in our culture in particular, we probably tend to do this more than anybody else, probably because we've gotten what we expected a lot more than anybody else. And yet for centuries and even right now around the world, God's working in places where people are not getting what they want. And COVID is pretty minor compared to the AIDS epidemic or right. the lack of clean water in Africa. Right. And yet God's still working. So right. it, that's a that's a touchy subject that maybe we will tackle at some point. But yeah, yeah, I think that's good. 
Well, as we wrap things up um, for this particular conversation, I kind of want to give it the ball back to you and say, hey, if there was one more thing that you could like put your finger on and say, this is important in regards to this conversation, Mm. or maybe it's two things, or maybe it's more, it doesn't matter. What would it be? Wow. Well, you know, I probably could talk about this for a couple more hours, but I will, I will sum it up if I can. Um, you know, I think, I think part of this is, this is really important for those of you out there that are parents. I think one of the most important things you could ever do is practice this with your kids. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I'll just say even today, my daughter and or two of my daughters and one of their friends took off in in my car and headed to the beach today. And (laughs) Every day I have to deal with, you know, managing my worry, my concern, you know, all those different sorts of things. And it's so important to always come back to this and say, I'm going to choose to trust, you know, my daughter's ability to drive a car. I mean, it's a a simple, basic thing. But the more we do that, the more we give our kids benefit of the doubt and the more we model that for them to help them manage expectations of other people. Uh, I I know you and I uh, have talked about this, that... um, when things went wrong at school growing up, we didn't always just jump to the immediate defense of our kids. We asked questions like, okay, yeah, so tell me what happened and, and tell me what, what, do you know why that person did this thing or why your teacher said this thing? Can you help me understand? But that was trying to get them to begin to see the narrative that's taking place in reality, not just, mm-hmm. I didn't get what I wanted now, I'm angry. So I think first, you know, the first thing, if I had to close with two things, first thing is learn to practice this with your children. And the second thing would be if you're in a relationship, actually this is any relationship, but particularly um, in, a, in a marriage relationship, there is this idea of a positive to negative ratio. Sure. Um, the Gottman Institute up at University of Washington has done a lot of research on this, um, but there is a magic ratio that exists in relationship with people. And uh, a lot of people think, you know, be really super positive and great things will be, happen in your relationship. They've actually proven that too much positivity means that people actually don't do anything or they actually, they don't progress, (laughs) they don't grow. And at the same time, um, too much negativity and relationships deteriorate. So they actually found that there was this positive to negative ratio that was really ideal and it was five to one. Hmm. Uh, We all know this, that negative, uh, we can, that's like Velcro to our brains, our neurology. Yeah, you get six compliments and five of them are positive and one of them is negative. Yeah, Yeah, exactly, exactly. I can get a hundred emails all day long, but if I end my day reading that one where someone was angry, I go home with that. One so sure. they've discovered that in a in a marriage relationship in particular five to one is the magic ratio okay. so five to one of okay there's you know a compliment there's a positive experience with each other um, Sherry and I have talked about this it isn't we actually say that depending on how the environment is sometimes a neutral can be negative sometimes right, it's as right, simple as right. hey babe could you do this and depending on where we are and how right. what the ratio is like right. that actually might have been another negative and right. so. Uh, Sherry and I have asked other couples, would you measure what is your your positive to negative ratio right now? And it's amazing how many people will say, we're maybe one-to-one, but mm. we're probably the opposite. We probably have way more negative than we do positive. Sure. So that's a huge part of developing trust with somebody is if you can get in a place where your positive ratio is high and you're like, well, you know what? Most of my experiences with this person have been positive lately. When you do have a negative one, you're able to place that appropriately in its category and it doesn't blow things out of proportion. So working on that positive to negative ratio, knowing, hey, I've spoken this kind of truth, this kind of life, I've complimented, I've encouraged, I've done something kind for this person. And then if there's something I need to say, which by the way, this goes back to that other commitment of me coming to you. Right. If we've got a negative thing going on, I can't come to you and, and expect you to perceive it correctly. So sometimes in order for me to have a hard conversation, I might need to check that positive to negative ratio and sure. say, okay, where are we on this spectrum? And then how do I 
now talk to you about this. So that's a huge one. I think probably for me, uh, most often for Sherry and I, I would say that's one of the biggest helps for us in building trust with each other and not filling gaps with suspicion or getting irritated with each other is just simply saying, hey, where's our ratio right now? That's so good. Yeah. If I were to like sum those things up through the lens of my own personal experience as we wrap up, I have three daughters as well. They're not jumping in, you know, a car to go down to the beach, but they do jump into a power wheels to drive it around the neighborhood, right? right? right. And more, um, not more often than not, but often enough, they'll come back and both of them are arguing with one another about something. And I have no idea what that something is because they're trying to talk over each other. But at the end of it all, my role isn't to try to prove who is right and who is wrong, but to help them seek to understand one another. Yeah. Right? To to help develop a better understanding of each other's relationships, which speaks to the next point you made, but also sort of ties the circle back with what we started with. Helps them establish a history, Mm -hmm. build relationship, and create vulnerability amongst each other so that they have a healthy, thriving, and trusting relationship. So, hey, guys, I'm so thankful that you had a chance to tune in and listen to this conversation. Brad, thank you for your insight on this topic. Um, It's been super helpful in our relationship. It's been super helpful in us leading together. Um, In any context in our life, it's also been very helpful in our families and our marriages um, and our friendships. And so um, we want to encourage you to take and put the stuff we have talked about into practice. Um, If you have any questions about it, we would love to hear from you. Brad, how can they get a hold of us? They can email us at podcast at b4church.org, or you can reach out to us on Instagram, Facebook, any of those different ways. We would love to hear from you. And if you have any any questions, if you think you have enough questions to fill another episode, who knows, maybe we'll talk even more about this. Yeah, we would love to hear from you, um, and we would love to know what your questions are, either on this topic or any topic, period. Um, Also, we want to encourage you, subscribe to this podcast, share the podcast, send it to your friends, to your family, to anybody, but not in a passive-aggressive way, um, like we talked about earlier. share it out of the goodness of your heart and out of the abundance of love and relationship you have. And we hope this is serving you incredibly well. We're very excited to continue these and we hope you guys have a wonderful rest of the week. Well, hey everybody, thanks for joining us. Be sure to visit b4church.org for more information. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you can subscribe, you can share it with your friends, you can even take a screenshot and share it on social media if you like. Tag us at b4church. Thanks for listening and we'll see you soon.